Hey guys, I wanted to let you know about a new project I've been working on for quite some time that I am so excited about. It is a fresh book just for all you mamas called Doing It All. Stop overfunctioning and become the mom and person you're meant to be. Doing It All is a simple framework designed to help you organize your stress, clear your mental clutter, and make more space for what really matters in your life. This book is about sharing my blueprint for achieving a centered life as a real working mom with real working mom problems. It's not about achieving a dazzling fantasy life of ease, wealth, and perfection, but a realistic life that's purposeful, organized, and aligned with your personal values. A life where you're able to prioritize what really matters and where everything, even laundry, has its place. Work calls? Yep. Time with your kids? Absolutely. Time for yourself? A top priority. Yes, you heard that right. This has nothing to do with manifesting positive vibes. You won't find a single affirmation here. Instead, you'll discover a practical framework, step-by-step plan, and over 40 targeted exercises, prompts, and activities. You can pre-order right now at amazon.com. Look for Doing It All by Dr. Whitney. Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast. Today, I have a Valerie Cockerell. She is the author of Manage Like a Mother. So I'm excited that today we get to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about really leadership for, for people, but then also those special skills that we bring as moms. I really want people to feel validated about what they bring to the table when they are moms in their professional lives. So Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And I'm very excited about talking about the book. I think this is something that all mothers out there will appreciate and will definitely relate to. Now, we talked slightly before the show started about a school that you went to in France, and I can pick up on your accent. You're a French natively? Yes. Yes, born and raised, and I've been in the U.S. over 26 years now. Okay, wonderful. So I did my study abroad in France. I was 18 years old. I was a French minor. And by the time I got done with study abroad, I could speak fluently only after two drinks. So that was my, <laughs> my litmus test for me. I'll speak fluently. Now, not so much. Now, all the words have been replaced with Spanish words from doing too much medicine in Spanish-speaking populations. But I love France. I was just there this summer. So absolutely awesome. Okay, so talk to me about the reason behind Manage Like a Mother. Talk to me about your 
philosophy about leadership and about managing. I want to hear about why you wrote this book. First of all, I grew up hearing my mother, who, by the way, is 91 years old and she's still living in France independently and drives around and runs all her errands and she's just a fantastic person. And I grew up hearing my mom say, I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. And I heard that so many times. Every time I would roll my eyes and go like, okay, here we go again. But now that I'm on the other side of 50 and my career is for the most part behind me, I'm thinking, oh boy, I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. I've always had this desire to share maybe some of the learnings that have acquired over the course of my career and help people. We always say the first 25 years of your life, you learn. The second 25 years, you do. And the third 25 years of your life, you should teach. And then anything beyond that is gravy. That was the motivation. And the other thing too is, over the course of my career, I worked primarily for the Disney organization. Between my husband and I, we met through Disney. He was my Prince Charming. I met him in France when we opened Disney in Paris. And then we relocated to the US in 97 and worked for Walt Disney World. But every time we, when we moved from France to the US, I stopped working for a while. We had a year and a half old son at the time. So I took some time to settle down in the US. Then I went back to work. Then I stopped working for a while. By then we had three kids and I wanted to dedicate some time to raising my children and eventually went back to Disney working for the Disney Institute. In any case, anytime, every time I stopped working and went back to work, like most women out there, I was thinking, am I still relevant? Are my, are my hmm. skills still valid? Do I still have what it takes to be a leader? Women tend to do that. We tend to underestimate mm -hmm. our competencies, our abilities. It occurred to me at some point by going in and out of the workplace that what is required of a leader to be an effective leader is really not much different than what is required of a great mom and what we mm -hmm. do as mothers. Because I think effective leadership to your question is based on the relationship you create with people, on how much emotional intelligence you can bring to the table, and how much you can support, encourage, develop, and coach people along the way. I think one of the best examples is the relationship that your kids may have with homework, for instance. You want your kids to do their homework, not because they have to, but because it's the right thing to do. Right. And they understand that. And I think being a leader is not telling people, here's what you do or here's what I expect you to do. Because if you approach it this way, they will probably do what you expect while you're standing there. But once mm -hmm. you have, you turn your back, they will do whatever they want. So now the only guarantee that your team and your team members and people who work in your organization will do the right thing is if they understand that it is the right thing to do. And in order to get there, you have as a leader to teach them that, to explain, to show them the value and point them in the right direction. Now, leadership is not about your team members working for you. It's actually you working for them and supporting them and putting them in an environment where they're going to be successful, where they can use their skills, where they can be effective and they feel valued and they feel that they matter. So that's the premises of the book pretty much is Let's take all the skills of a mom and, and approach leadership 
through that lens. I, I'm not bringing any brand new idea to the leadership approach. I just, I'm just saying this is a tool that can help people, leaders that have hitting roadblocks or that feel challenged, just give them something they can refer back to put them on the right path. I do think that women, they might not feel like they're amazing at being a mom all the time, but there is a sense of prowess that you develop over time that I think does come sooner than the prowess you feel in leadership or in business. I would say I feel much more confident in my mom skills than I do as an entrepreneur because I've been doing it day in, day out for so long. And because maybe there's more information that's directed specifically toward me about how to do it. I know part of it is about obviously my pediatrician training. And so I do think it's always useful to give people tools to say, it's just like this. You're doing the exact same thing. It's just in a different environment. Okay. So I have a couple of things that came up when you were talking. One is, do you feel like being from France, that there's a difference between how the French culture or the European cultures approach leadership or how they would be able to use their prowess as a mom compared with how U.S. female workers would or people in this environment? Because to me, it's a very different culture, very different. Absolutely. I think in many ways, we have differences. And let me preface by saying it's not better, it's not worse. It's different. And if you mm-hmm. could cherry pick the best of each world, then it'd be outstanding. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works. But what I've learned, there are three areas that I can pinpoint where we have a big difference between Europe and the US. And, and frankly, I did not expect that because we assume we have the same kind of living standards, mm-hmm. the same background. One of the things I learned was, first of all, time management. <laughs> when we opened Disneyland Paris, let me tell you, it was like a SNL skit. When we would have a meeting first thing in the morning, if it was at, you know, eight o'clock, by five to eight, the Germans would be there, the Dutch people would arrive, eight o'clock shop, Americans, the Brits would usually be on time. And then all those Latin cultures would trickle into the meeting. So the French uh-huh. would show up about 15, 20 minutes late, a little bit disheveled, like they rolled out of bed. And then about half hour, 45 minutes later, the Italians would walk in and say, hey, ciao, come on, stay. <laughs> and I'm, I'm general, generalizing here, but that's the gist. So time management, we have a different approach to it. And, and right now, my husband and I, we do quite a bit of work in South America, and we encounter that all the time. The other thing, I think, when it comes to giving feedback, Europeans, we tend to be more blunt and to the point. Mm-hmm. And I found that in America particularly at Disney, where everything is nice, we don't want to offend people, we don't want to... You have to really listen carefully to hear feedback. And it's brought to you in a different way. When in Europe, when you do a presentation and they don't like it, they'll tell you, they say, no, that's not going to work. You got to go back to square one, start over. This is not worth it. You wasted your time, whatever. And it's a little bit brutal, but you get used to it because it's part of the culture. When I came to the U.S., Sometimes people would give me feedback. I didn't even realize what was happening. And fortunately, I had some friends who had worked in France and, and who knew the cultural difference. Who said, Valerie, when the senior vice president of merchandise, where I worked in retail at the time, when the senior vice president of retail tells you this, you really need to do it. I'm like, why wouldn't she say so? so the, the question would be brought like, have you thought about this? Would you consider doing this? Which I would sometimes just dismiss. Right. But that was the 
where they would give you directives. And I didn't, I could not always read that or hear that. So fortunately, I was surrounded with people who would say, Hey, watch out. <laughs> You're being told right now what to do. And it went completely over my head. So these are some of the differences that we have now. When it comes to parenting and, and leading, one of the thing is when it comes to recognitions, uh, in America, you are in a very positive, enthusiastic, cheering cheerleaders we do yes. that with, yeah we do that with our kids and yeah. and in europe it doesn't work that way at all and one of my biggest learning curve working in the u.s was learning how to give rewards and recognition on a regular basis and it was such a challenge for me because it did not come naturally this whole high-fiving thing which may even be more developed within the disney organization that's mm -hmm. anywhere else in the u.s I had to figure out a way to do this because it's the kind of thing you say, oh, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then you dismiss it. So what I did, my own little trick, and I did not invent it. I read it somewhere. I would uh, typically walk the stores. I had several retail locations I was in charge of, and I would make a point of walking my operation at least once a day. And I, I typically would wear pantsuits. So I would put five quarters in my right pocket. And those five quarters in my pocket would jingle when I walked. And it was my reminder that day I had to make a point of thanking five people. And when we think of rewards and recognition, we think about this big elaborate thing. It doesn't have to be. It's just a simple thank you. I appreciate you. And it has to be connected to a particular behavior. But those five coins, and the idea was every time I would thank somebody, recognize somebody, I would take one coin from my right pocket and move it to my left pocket. And the idea is that by the end of the day, my five coins would have, you know, moved, transferred from my right pocket to my left pocket. Now, needless to say, the first week I did that, nothing changed. And then little by little, I started developing a habit. And all it would imply is that I would see somebody who had done something, either I could see them engaging with a guest, with a Disney guest and providing great service, or somebody who had been in a meeting with me that had done a great presentation. And all I would do is say, hey, I noticed you talking to this guest and you were talking to the kids at eye level and really engaged with them. I love that about you. Keep it up. You're doing a phenomenal job. Thank you. That's it. 10 seconds. Move on. And then I would move one coin to my left pocket. And then the next person I'd see, I would say, hey, you did a great presentation yesterday. You were very thoroughly prepared. I'm so glad you're on my team. Thank you. That's it. But as a leader, when we caught up in the hamster wheel that spins faster and faster, we very easily forget those things. So that was my little trick is put the coins, hear, hear those coins jingle, and then be reminded to do it and be purposeful about recognition. Okay, so, so many parallels to parenting here, right? So many times that we tell parents as pediatricians, it's about investing money into the bank of your relationship with your child. So even though it doesn't mean anything to you, it means a lot to your child to have it be small little moments of recognition, small little moments of time where you're giving your focus, Small moments where they say, hey, mom, and you put your phone down and actually look at them <laughs> and give you their attention. I do wonder, because I was actually just at Disney, Disneyland with my daughter, and it's phenomenal, but it's also, it's astounding how consistent across the board every single employee is if 
in their approach. What I have found in my parenting and in coaching other parents in my pediatrics field is that certain types of feedback, recognition, thank you, rewards work for certain kids and don't work for other types of kids. So in your book, or maybe just in your experience at Disney, it seems like everyone kind of acts outwardly toward all of the clients or all of the customers that are there at Disney in a very uniform way. But in terms of the way that you recognize you gave rewards, is there anything that you learned over time? Like, oh, this is how I need to specify this, or this is how I need to adjust it. Because I think I'm assuming that for a lot of our listeners, they would think like, yes, I would love to reward maybe the people that I supervised in a way that's consistent to go and have the quarters and remind me. But I know that Johnny actually doesn't even appreciate it. He turns around and is like, okay, he needs this thing. So how did you modify it or customize it to make it so that your employees actually got that feedback or got that recognition that they needed and then were able to provide that uniform customer service to the people around them? I think a lot of that has to do with how people will work in your organization the same mm-hmm. way you customize with your children. When they're little, it's about comforting. It's about physical touch. It's about making them feel safe and, mm-hmm. and loved. And then one day they grow up and they start distancing themselves. And as they become teenager, they quickly go from, I love you to how could you kind of thing. Right. And at that point, it's like, I will appreciate if you leave me alone. <laughs> kind of interaction. And so you have, as a mom, you read the signs, you see those red flags and you realize, okay, my 13-year-old son doesn't like PDA now and I need to respect that. He's putting some boundaries, no matter how much I want to hug him in public. And so it's the same when you're a leader, you have to read that your audience and understand some people want to be put on the pedestal and recognized in public. And some are thoroughly embarrassed if you do that. Mm-hmm. I tell you, you were asking me culturally, that's a thing in, in Europe. I remember my husband worked at Disney in Paris and he put together a reward program on attendance. And he had all the names of his team members on the wall and he would keep track of people who had perfect attendance. And after a couple of weeks, one of the cast members came up to him and said, Dan, can you please take my name off the, the board? Because he was the only one remaining with perfect attendance and his yeah. peers were giving him a hard time. So culturally in Europe, people don't want to be singled out. They don't want to be seen as brown nosing or, or just the, the favorite or something like this. So you, you have, this is about, this is where emotional intelligence come in, comes into play, where you have to really observe, listen. Pay attention to nonverbal cues and how people react to, to feedback and recognition and customize. You can't, there's no perfect that generally when you talk about Disney, generally we know that cast members are required to engage with the guest and be cheerful and happy and all this. But you also tell them pay attention to the guests. Some people want to be left alone. It's like mm-hmm. when you walk in a retail store, some people love having somebody walk up to them and say, hi, my name is Valerie. And if you need anything, please come and see me or engage right away. And then some folks want to like, leave me alone. I'm here yeah, to that's my me. shopping. I, like, I will leave if you talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what was funny is when we moved from Paris to Florida in France, and I'm sure you've heard and you spent time in France, so you'll appreciate that story. But when you go to a restaurant, 
Waiters and waitresses in France are actually taught not to interject or involve themselves in the conversation. And there's a level of formality that is expected. So they are there to bring you your wine, your food, your bread, and refill your glass. But the least you notice them, the greater, the, the better the service. Okay. Now, when we, so we were used to that in Paris, we'd go out to a restaurant and we were Monsieur et Madame. Bonsoir, Monsieur, Madame. It was always very formal. And then we moved to Florida and he said, hi guys, my name is Bill. I'm going to be your waiter tonight. So where are you guys visiting from? And I'm thinking, do I know you? <laughs> I'm especially in Florida. That's true. Anywhere in the South. I'm like, no, we don't know each other. Go. And I'm thinking, I'm not here to socialize with you. Please leave me alone. And this is where there's some sensitivity here that has to come, mm -hmm. sensibility that has to come into play. And you have to read the sign, pay attention, see how people test people and see how they react and then adjust and adapt accordingly. I think that's what's the most important. Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app. We are so ready to join you on your personal journey from conflicted to centered. We want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned. As you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the App Store. I actually think, again, in parallel with how you parent, a lot of people, when they are new parents, especially, but just throughout the years, will ask a lot of very specific questions about child development, about child behavior, and 99.9% .9 of the time, my answer is, it's about stopping, observing, being quiet enough within yourself, having the brain space to pay attention to what's happening with the interaction with you and your child, building awareness about what are your triggers, what are the things that make it so that you get real riled up or that you go, oh, my mom would be so disappointed in me if you were ever acting this way. And then responding to your individual child, depending on the way that they are wired, what's happening in their environment, what the circumstances are. I was telling you before we, we got started, we have a, a strike that's happening in our school district right now. So today is the first day of the strike. Yesterday was Halloween. My kids are a hot mess today. And so the way that I parent them will be very different today than the way that I parented them last week. It doesn't mean I will let them do whatever they want, eat all their Halloween candy, watch shows all day long, but it does mean I'm going to have a little more grace. I'm not going to be too sensitive or really set on rules today. Today is about decompressing, kind of oozing into this new environment and this new structure we're going to have over the next couple of weeks and then dealing with these emotions of the unknown of, I don't know when I'll go back to school. I have no idea what's going to happen. There's some fear around that. And so... I really think that the more parents and leaders can lean into that idea of I am my best self when I am the most present. Yeah. I am the most effective 
when I'm paying attention the most. I am the most effective when I am the most open to maybe everything is a cookie cutter and I need to read what the situation is in this individual situation. Yeah, reading the scene, t- taking your audience into consideration where they're at and meet them where they're at. And I grew up, my mom would always say, we have two ears and one mouth because we should listen twice as much as we speak. And she's, And that's the thing. Now, the reality is the logistics of our lives, sometimes we're in a hurry, sometimes mm-hmm. we rushed. You're trying to get the kids in the car early in the morning. And I drove my kids to school. They went to school about 15 miles away from home. We had a pretty long 45-minute commute in the morning getting into downtown Orlando. And I, I remember once driving all the way to school and we're about a minute away from turning into the school carpool lane. And my 11-year-old son said, oh, mom, I forgot my shoes. How, how do you even get in the car without your shoes? So yeah. when that happens and you have your three kids in the back of the car, plus the two little boys that you call the family you couple with, being a diplomat, using finesse and being yeah. tactful, and it's really hard to do. So a lot of it has to do with self-control, as you said, and, yeah. and then also sometimes maybe lowering your expectations a little yes. bit. And, and adjusting them because we have, we set high standards. Society sets high standards for performance as a family. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's a matter of saying, you know what? Maybe I'm going to leave my kitchen in a hot mess because yes. at the end of the day, this doesn't not going to make a big difference in the long, in the big scheme of thing in the long term. This is not going to make a difference. However, spending 20 minutes reassuring my son. Or maybe reading a book with him so that he becomes an avid reader. Now that's important. That's a long-term, it's, it's that saving account that you're creating, right? You're investing yeah. into something that will pay dividends in the long term. But having, we don't always have that clarity of thoughts. And I've yeah. been there, done that with three kids. There were moments where you say something and you're like, mm, no, that did not come out the way I wanted it to come out. But. It's about discipline. That, that again, that's where emotional intelligence come into place. Understanding, having self awareness, having self control. Which, by the way, one of the points I make in the book: having self control doesn't mean staying silent. It right. means expressing your opinion, your feelings in an appropriate way, which in a respectful way. And same thing when we talk about listening and showing empathy doesn't mean you have to agree with people. It just means that you saying, I understand that you have feelings and I hear you. It doesn't mean I agree with your feelings, but you are entitled to your feelings and I recognize that. And there's a big difference between the two. Again, that's a whole bunch of things that require discipline and the ability to think straight also, which we all know as a mom, there's a lot going on. You're multitasking and sometimes it's hard to do this. It's, it takes, takes some special skills. So the word that I like to use to describe what you're talking about when you're interacting with someone who maybe has an opinion that's different than yours or who gets you very rattled or has the propensity to make you lose it with them is this idea of operating out of integrity, staying in your own integrity. So I want to feel after I have an interaction with a parent or with a patient in my office that I can walk out of that room and say, I acted according to how I wanted to show up. I tried my best to not name call, 
to not get overly mad, to not scream at someone, to not, which I don't do professionally. I think as a mom, much easier to have that habit, right, in your house. But I think that's always my goal is, am I trying my absolute best to show up in a way that I feel like I can be proud of? It doesn't mean I have to go along with everybody else. It doesn't mean I have to agree with you. It doesn't mean I have to acquiesce and let all my boundaries go. It can mean that I'm very strong very firm as long as I'm not doing emotional damage to somebody else in the process on purpose. And I think that's very hard actually for moms to do in our home environments, but also in our workplaces. And I would love for you to talk about your experience in that realm. I don't know if you touch on that in the book, we are in a place in America, especially with the pandemic, where women left the workplace, where women were taught to lean in. And so we still have some of those vestiges of really trying to just take our seat at the table and kind of buck up and just be as strong as possible. How, how do you, have you navigated being a woman in the workplace, being a woman who's at a high executive level and still maintaining your own integrity of who you are? It's not easy. And earlier in the podcast, you mentioned how we, as women, when we get into the workplace, it's really hard to that transition coming from being a stay-at-home mom to a manager or leader in an organization. And the reason why is it hard it is hard is because most of the leaders or executives in organization today, the vast majority of them are men. And men do not approach leadership the same way women do. Now, I'm generalizing here. I'm, I, I don't mean to say that everybody fits uh, specifically that profile. But for many decades, women have entered the workplace and thinking that they had to behave the way men behave in order to be effective and in order to be given a chance at moving up within an organization. Now, studies today, surveys and statistics are showing that servant leadership is a better approach. Showing emotional intelligence is a better approach. And those are two skills that for which women are uniquely prepared because mm -hmm. some of these come like maternal instinct and we bring that to the table. So what it needs to happen is for men to recognize that, the value that, and, and leverage that. And I'm not trying to say that women are better leaders than men. What I'm saying is women can bring something additional to leadership approach. And you, when you combine two, that's when there is wealth, that's where there is success, that's when there is power. I tell you, the past five years, I've worked with my husband and we are consulting with companies and training organizations. And sometimes we go to in one meeting together and we walk out of the meeting with a prospective client with a totally different perspective on the meeting. Hmm. He comes out super positive, optimistic. This is great. This is great opportunity. I like this guy. I like his ideas. I like how he's thinking. And I walk away going like, what? Were we in the same room? I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think, I didn't read that at all. Why? Because we're paying attention to different things. And I'm not saying that my husband is right or I'm right. What I'm saying is between the two of us, we have a more balanced approach and we see different angles. We look at things very differently, which I think makes us more successful in how we deal with things and how we deal with clients. So. I think very often women are tempted to try to adapt and, and become and approach leadership the way men do. And mm -hmm. I'm saying like, don't do that. You have a unique talent, which mm -hmm. you need to leverage and you need to 
bring that, be very upfront about what, what you understand, what your perspective is. You don't have to become this archetype of a man yeah. to be successful. Now, I know it is tempting because when you look at the workforce today, we have gender parity in the workforce, and yet we only have 32%, 33% of leadership position held by women. And it gets even lower when you get to the C-suite. So this, I think what the women who have managed to move up need to really advocate for this style of leadership and show men how valuable it is. What's interesting, when we do keynote speeches with my husband, very often we said, how many of you in the room here, raise your hand if your mother was one of the most influential person in your life? And 80% of the room raises their hand. And most people, men or women, will say, yeah, my mom really shaped the person I am and the way I approach things and what I do. I'm like, okay, so if you see value in how your mom, what she instilled in you, why is it that begs the question, why don't we have more women in leadership position? This is, to yeah. me, that's where I said, hopefully my book will help make people do a little bit of introspection and think about this, and men specifically. So let's bring those skills to the table. Women don't need to change. They don't need to start approaching leadership the way men do to be successful. And I think we need to amplify each other's message as women, and we need to support each other and mentor each other to move up through the organization. And I've tried, I was fortunate to work for Disney, which has been doing a tremendous job helping women. Also, diversity and diversity and inclusion has always been big at Disney. When we left Disney, when my husband left, I think shortly thereafter, the four parks at Walt Disney World were run by women. Four parks, four women were heading the thing, which is unheard of in a lot of organizations. So they still have many other areas where they need this need for improvement because very often you see uh, diversity initiatives being effective at the entry level, but then you continue to move up the C-suite. And now this is where it becomes the typical older white male population. So how do you change that? But I think for women, we need to advocate for each other. And I've tried to do that in my career. And and over time, things we are slowly but surely closing the gap. Yes, I love it. Oh, that was gold, what you just said. I see that in my organization as well. And I think that is the most powerful message we can give women here is you are the most powerful when you are yourself. When you show up as your authentic self and when you help to raise other women up to be able to be their authentic selves in the workplace and to bring everything that they are, that's when we'll make change, systemic societal change over time. I have shared this story before on the podcast, but I'll share it again quickly for listeners who didn't hear it. I have been on the executive committee in my office, in my partnership for a very long time. And I've started to do other things outside of my practice. I do all my platform, I do my podcast, I do my books, all these things. And one of the men who was on the leadership in the executive committee said, so Whitney, I think maybe, do you want to step down? Because you have a lot of things going on. And I said, have I not been showing up at 100%? Have I not been a good job there? He goes, no, I just know you have a lot going on. So how do you? One of my skills is to be able to do multiple things. Well, and I'm killing it, all of these things. And I represent all the other working moms who are here in this organization. We have 160 employees. I'm the only working mom who's on this executive committee. And I will not step down until there's another woman who comes and can take my place and show up for us. 
Because it's important that people who've been in this organization for a long time are able to speak candidly about their experience, to advocate at the highest levels, and really to be thought leaders along with all of the other, all the other people in leadership. And like you said, to manage like a mother, to be in leadership like a mother. There's a, there's an interesting story that happened to my husband. He had, when he was vice president of the Magic Kingdom, one of the general manager lady who worked for him had twins. And when she came back to work after a parental leave, my husband walked up to her and said, Hey, I just want you to know balance is really important. And I understand that you have obligation with kids and now you have two little ones. And if you ever need some time off or something, don't hesitate to ask. In his mind, he was being very supportive. And she reacted in a way that surprised him. He came back home that night. He said, I don't, I didn't quite understand her reaction because she was a little bit defensive when I said this. And she told me, Dan, I've had nine months to prepare for this. My husband and I have discussed it. We fully prepared to take it. I'm not going to deny my my responsibility as a mom, nor will I deny my responsibility as a leader. And he was taken aback and he came home and told me this. And I said, he said, I don't know why she responded this when I said, think about it. Would you have told that to a man Mm -hmm. who just had twins? And he said, no, you're probably right. I would not have. I said, so why are we assuming that because women have kids, they're not going to be committed to their job. And effectively, that's what you were doing. And it came from a good intent. Mm-hmm. But the way it was perceived for her was like, why is he's already, that's it. I'm a mom now. And he's setting me apart from the rest of my peers. So that was a good, good learning. It's not a microaggression, but it's this, oh. those assumptions that we make, I think. Right, Exactly. Valerie, it has been fantastic to have you here on the podcast. I think people are going to learn so much from reading your book. Can you tell us where people can find out more about you and where they can find out more about Manage Like a Mother? We'll give you the information for the show notes, but they can reach me at Valerie at CockrellConsulting.com. And the book is available at... Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Target, all the regular bookstores, Kindle is also available. And I'm very excited about it. And um, I'm mainly, I have no big expectation for the books, but I really want to start a conversation or at least continue the conversation because fortunately, there's a lot of people like you who are bringing that kind of topics to the table. I think it's important to support women, help them see how much they have to offer and hopefully help them bridge the gap in society in general, whether it is at home or whether it is at work. So if you have any comments, any questions, and you want to engage in any way, I'm only a phone call or a email away. It's on our website, carcoalconsulting.com. And go and read the book and reach out and engage with me. I would love to hear from you all. Thank you so much for being here. Bye. Thank you. mama if you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes we'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy doc if you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well thanks for listening